This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, May 12, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. The Constitution was meant to protect liberty and shackle government. So how did we get to a world in which provisions of the Constitution are believed by many to give various branches of government unchecked authority? William H. Meller is president of the Institute for Justice and co-author with Cato's Bob Levy of The Dirty Dozen, How 12 Supreme Court Cases Radically Expanded Government and Eroded Freedom. We spoke about a few of those cases following a Cato Book Forum last week. Were there any cases that almost made it into this list? I noticed you have Roe v. Wade and Bush v. Gore at the end of the book. Actually, when we looked at the 12 cases that made the top of the list, those were so glaringly obvious that we really felt very comfortable and confident that it was worth doing those and and no others. That's not to say there aren't a lot of bad Supreme Court cases. Of course there are. In the regulating interstate commerce uh, section, you talk about two cases, Wickard v. Filburn and Gonzalez v. Raich. And I noted that Bob Levy said that the court used the exact same reasoning in deciding both of those cases. Does that make it less likely, you think, for uh, this type of thinking to uh, uh, be overturned? There's no question that the court's decision in Wickard, and even more recently and tragically in Raich, radically expanded the reach of federal authority and made it possible for the federal government to get involved in the most local of activities because what they've recognized is that it doesn't even have to be commerce. It doesn't even have to be interstate. It can be completely within a state. It can be completely something that you, in the case of medical marijuana, grow and use for your own purposes, do not engage in any commercial transactions, and yet that is nevertheless something that, because it may have, in the aggregate, a substantial effect on something that they define as commerce, in this case, in the race case, the, the trade in illegal drugs, that would be sufficient to allow the federal government to intervene and set up whatever regulatory regime it cares to. What are the implications of this case for future... Uh, jurisprudence rooted in the Tenth Amendment. Anyone who truly values liberty should be appalled at what the court did in Wickard and in Raich. And what it effectively does is make the Tenth Amendment have even less of a, of a resonance in the court than it already had, which was very little to begin with. The case you list under campaign finance is McConnell v. FEC in 2003. Since the Wisconsin right to life case more recently, does that make you think any better of where the court is headed on campaign finance? Anyone who's able to stagger their way through the 160-plus pages of the McConnell decision can't help but feel dismayed, profoundly dismayed, about the court's take on the First Amendment and whether or not it protects political speech. They've said very clearly that they will not entertain a facial challenge to campaign finance laws as they were asked to do in McConnell. Having said that, however, it does appear that given the fact there were a number of concurring and and uh, dissenting opinions within the McConnell case, that there now appears to be a group of four, maybe five votes on the court that are willing to look at the ways in which, when it's applied in reality, campaign finance laws can, in fact, run afoul of the First Amendment. And that's what we saw in in the Wisconsin Right to Life case and what we hope we'll see in a number of others in the not-too-distant future. Whitman versus American Trucking Associations Incorporated, 2001 case. I look at this and think of, if this continues to stand, it seems like Leviathan government can't be stopped. The American trucking case was especially egregious because it ignored the mandate in Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution, that the legislative function, the making of laws, shall be the sole province of Congress. And over the course of time, obviously Congress has passed laws that created 
the need for enforcement and interpretation by the executive agencies that were charged with implementing the laws. So there's always been some degree of latitude given to these agencies to implement the laws of Congress. But there was always intended to be a, a what they called an intelligible principle, a, a clear direction from Congress as to what the agency could and could not do and the limits of its discretion. The tragedy of the American trucking case is that it completely removed any limit on agency discretion and allowed it to basically go forward as the lawmaker, the law enforcer, the law adjudicator, and in all in one one fell swoop, basically determine the rights of individuals in these administrative contexts. It's not surprising, leading up to the American trucking case, that as this practice got more and more common, you saw the proliferation of regulations and agencies uh, implementing the regulations. Today, there are 319 federal regulatory bodies. Do you foresee a time in which the Supreme Court recognizes all constitutional rights as fundamental? That's not likely to happen anytime soon, but we can, I think, make real progress by starting a discussion and pursuing vigorously a discussion on what is the proper judicial philosophy most likely to lead to a jurisprudence of liberty. And that is one that starts with a presumption of liberty in whatever the court uh, does when it looks at the, the action of government. It starts with also whether or not there should be a benefit of the doubt given to the government whenever it chooses to enact a law or pass a regulation. Today, you know, the burden is really on the individual to prove that somehow they have rights that trump the presumed to be legitimate government authority. And this is so bad that, for instance, in the area of, of economic liberty and, and often property rights, any reasonably conceivable set of facts will suffice to uphold a, a law even if those facts were not considered by the legislature, even if they didn't exist at the time the legislation was passed. If the court can simply make them up on the spot, that will be enough to uphold that law. That's simply not the way the Constitution was intended to be interpreted, and we need to call the courts to account on that fact. William Meller is president of the Institute for Justice and co-author with the Cato Institute's Robert A. Levy of The Dirty Dozen, How 12 Supreme Court Cases radically expanded government and eroded freedom. You can get a copy at Cato.org.